This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Can we show our appreciation to our worship team? What a powerful job they are doing. Phenomenal, each and every week leading us and uh, guiding us into the presence of the Lord. Pastor Tim shared with you something that's really exciting for me every year. It's our spiritual growth campaign. And I uh, hope and pray that you'll be a part of it. He was talking about the kit that all of the leaders are going to be able uh, to pick up today out in the lobby. Our team writes this every year. Uh, They produce it. They write it. uh, They develop all of the merch and all of the curriculum. This year, we will be, as a part of your kit, we will be linking with another pastor, author, and uh, inside Uh, the kit, one of the things that you will get this year is a book that will go along uh, with our devotionals and studies and all that we'll be looking at. And uh, and so you'll be getting that. It's a book, Think, Act, Be Like Jesus. And that's what we've been singing about and asking the Lord just to help us to, uh, to, to be like him and to be established in him. So there's a lot of good stuff inside here. Uh, Leaders, you'll want to pick that up today uh, on your way out. For the rest of the congregation, uh, you'll be able to get yours uh, in the next few weeks as we uh, finish uh, uh, preparing it all. You'll be able to get it and get ready uh, for our established campaign. Well, take your Bibles. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be continuing... We went through verses 1 through 9 last week, and this week we're going to pick up in verse 10. Our series has been called, I Choose. Say, I Choose. A little bit louder, I Choose. First week we saw that we were choosing joy. Then we choose hope. Last week we choose peace. This week Paul was going to take us to another theme, and that theme is, I Choose Contentment. Say, I Choose Contentment. And uh, as we dive into this, uh, we uh, shared a lot of these thoughts actually with you last year uh, in a a series we called Break the Bank. Some of the thoughts I'll share with you uh, were thoughts that we shared in that series. Why would I bring it back so fast? Well, this is what happens when you walk through a book of the Bible and you're preaching the sections of the Bible, you have to deal with the themes that come up. Uh, As a preacher, we call it topical preacher uh, to textual preaching. And when we walk through a book of the Bible, you deal with the themes as they come and as the author is writing them. And so here we are. I didn't want to skip 10 verses uh, of our book study just because we studied it last year. So there'll be a few new thoughts. But when you preach about a text, you can't really bring too many more key thoughts out of that text. And so there'll be some thoughts that will be reminders for a lot. Of us, a lot of this will be new for many of us, but can I say it will impact all of us? Today's theme, there is no doubt, will touch all of us. 
I am fully prepared that there's not going to be a lot of amens today. I am already ready for that. And, uh, and I know that you're probably not going to run to the altars at the end of a message like this. And I'm okay with that. I'm secure enough to know that I'm going to preach the word today to a silent maybe audience. And, uh, and, and at the same time, it's going to impact all of us. Now, why am I making a little joke about it? Is because the reality is this message touches every single one of us. There's no doubt in my mind. And as Paul is finishing up, we're at the end of the book of Philippians. Now, next week, we're going to go back to chapter 2. We told you we skipped it for a few weeks, uh, but we're coming back next week, and we'll wrap up two weeks in chapter 2. But Paul, at the end of his letter, he now is shifting and the shift is a thank you note to the church of Philippi. He's writing to the church and he's thanking them because of their joy. And, 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 and the gift that they sent to him was a pure joy for him. And the joy of their giving to him was something that blessed him and he found contentment in it. So Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 is where we're going to go as we read the scripture. Paul says... Look with me there in verse 10. How grateful I am and how I praise the Lord that you are helping me again. He's a missionary writing back to his supporting church. Thank you. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for all that you've been doing. I know that you have always been anxious to send what you could, but for a while you didn't have a chance. You weren't able to do what you were doing before. Now... That I was, not, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, underline that, I have learned how to get along happily, whether I had much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret, underline this, of contentment in every situation, whether it be with a full stomach or in hunger, plenty, or want, for I can do everything God asked me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. Can I hear an amen? Now, by the way, that is probably the most misquoted verse in all of the Bible. We quote that, we've said that, we quoted it, but you have to see where he's writing it. I can do anything regardless of my circumstances, with much or with nothing, hungry or well-fed, in a house or on a mat outside somewhere, I have learned the secret of contentment, and God will give me the strength to live out that contentment. That's in the context of where he was writing it. And here, when you look at it, he's saying, God gives me the strength, the contentment, and he's saying, thank you. Thank you for the offering that you sent. Thank you for what you've done. You see, Paul founded the church. He founded the church of Philippi about 10 years before. And as he went on his missionary journeys, many times he would come back to the church of Philippi. It was there in that part of the Macedonian call and the Macedonian region. And as he would go out on his missionary journeys, he would come back and they would give him offerings that would send him on. We do this many times. A missionary will come back. They'll share with you what they've been doing. We'll take an offering, and then we send them on to go do their missionary journeys. That's exactly what is happening here with Paul. 
By the way, it's where the Assemblies of God gets this method of how we raise support for our missionaries and how they come back every three to four years. They'll share stories and testimonies, tell us what's happening. And with great joy, we celebrate that we are partnering with them and sending them back to do the mission work that God has called them to do. Well, the church of Philippi now has heard that Paul is in prison. He's over in Rome. And they are sending a financial gift to help him with all of his expenses. It was unexpected. It wasn't requested. And yet here comes this gracious gift. It was really sacrificial from the church of Philippi there. And it was a token of their love, their concern, and their willingness to continue to partner with him when he was in ministry. He goes on to say this in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, but even so... You have done right in helping me in my present difficulty. He's in prison. He's there. He can't meet the needs that uh, when you were uh, in prison like this, you would have to provide, you would still have to support yourself even though you might be under house arrest or in, in, in more serious uh, consequences. And he said, so you are helping me in my present difficulty. As you well know, when I first brought the gospel to you and then went on my way, leaving Macedonia, only you, the, uh, you, the, Philippi, uh, you, you, the Philippians, I almost said Filipinos. <laughs> Don't know why that popped in my head. Only you, the Philippians, became my partners in giving and receiving. No church did this. Even when I was over in Thessalonica, you sent help twice. I was ministering Thessalonica. I was setting up a church there. You supported me. But though I appreciate your gifts, what makes me the happiest is the well-earned reward that you will receive because of your kindness. Now, as a missionary, I have to pause, a former missionary, and say to you that that verse is powerful. Because what Paul was saying is you partnered with me, you sent me, and the gift is great. What you gave is wonderful. But what's more exciting is that we're in a partnership in what we're doing to spread the gospel around the world. And it's a powerful, powerful verse. We call that in missions the faith promise. When we make a faith promise, we're partnering with that missionary and we're sending them. And he says, it's because of your kindness. He says, at the moment, I have all that I need, more than I need. And I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent with me through Ephroditus when he came. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that pleases God well. And he said, it is he, the Lord, who will supply all of your needs from his riches and glory. Can I hear an amen? Because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Now unto the God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sincerely, Paul. Can I just hear a big, big amen in the house? Now, what I find fascinating about this is that Paul is writing these words under house arrest. He's writing it in a very difficult period of time. In a time where he's chained to a guard and every four hours the guard is being switched and changed. Never to have privacy. He is chained and it's for an indefinite period of time. 
And yet, Paul is saying, in all of that, I find joy. Thank you for your partnership. Your generosity overflowed and overflowed. And he says, I thank you for it. That was the purpose of writing. I just want to say thank you for what you have done. Now, when you unpack it, though, it begins to touch us because Paul says, listen, he says, I have learned, and it's a key word, I have learned the secret. It's a secret to be discovered. I have learned the secret of contentment. Now, contentment is something that advertisers do not like. Advertisers do not want you and I to be content. In fact, what they do instead is they make us feel discontent. What they want is they want you and I to feel like we need whatever they're selling. That our life will not be changed or different if we don't get what they're pushing at you and I. And therefore they spend large amounts of money to create for you and I this sense of discontentment. Because if we get content, then we will not buy their product. And it's a mindset. It's a mindset that they're, they, they constantly are bombarding you and I. They're attacking our sense of contentment. On every side, it is facing us. And now it comes into our social media. It's television for years and years and years. We can't help it, but there's a direct marketing, and it's turned into a science, and people have earned degrees about it. There's a lot of data that's collected about it, and there is this mindset that's created that makes you and I feel discontent so that we will get what they're pushing at us. Now today, my purpose is let's just remind ourselves what God says and prepare our hearts, guard our hearts, put guardrails around our hearts in this mindset to become aware of it so that we can guard ourselves from it. Can I just get an agreement in the house? Because contentment, you may want to write it down, is a powerful thing. When you learn the secret of contentment and then you live it out, it is powerful. So we have to start with, well, what is contentment? What does it mean to be content? I have a definition. I believe it's in your outline. And a definition that goes like this from Webster Dictionary. Content means to be happy enough with what one has or who one is. To be happy with that. Not desiring something more or different, but one is satisfied. Now, Paul says to young Timothy, a young preacher, a young leader, he says to the spiritual leader in 1 Timothy 6, 6, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, that great gain is powerful. What does Paul mean by great gain? Well, he says that when you're godly, you're walking in righteousness, you're, 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 you're pursuing the ways of God, and you're content, there is great gain for your life. Godly, being godly and, and walking in righteousness, godliness is putting God's priorities first in your life. That God has first place. As we open the service today, God has your yes you may not know what's on the other side of your yes, but God has your yes even before he asks you a question. So can I practice it with you today? Yes, Lord. Say it with me. Yes, 
Lord. He has my yes. He is the priority of my life. And godliness is yes, Lord. Yes, God. Whatever you desire, whatever you're wanting, whatever attitude, whatever character changes, whatever you want, my answer is yes, Lord. That's godliness. That's godliness. Now, contentment is I'm satisfied. I'm content with what I have and who I am. And Paul says when those two come together, it's great gain. What is the great gain? Can I tell you? It's peace in your life. When you get godliness, when you're pursuing that, and you are content, it puts you in a state of peace. There's confidence, there's security, there's actually a freedom that you feel and you get within. Why is that? It's because discontentment makes you a prisoner. You're bound and you're pushing to your cravings and you're trapped in a never-ending cycle. And that mindset must be broken or we're going to find ourselves going around and around and around and never having peace. So the question for all of us, all of us, all of us, is the question is, what have you felt that you needed to be content? What is it? Was it security? Was it so much in the bank? Was it so much in your retirement fund? Was it so many investment properties? What was it that made you feel content? Was it a certain situation? And, and, and I'm sorry, I put it in the past tense. Let me bring it into the present tense. What is it that makes us feel discontent? Why do we feel that there's a drive? Is it a certain circumstance that, that we have found ourselves in? Is it a certain job that, that we're desiring and we're wanting? A certain life situation? I mean, if we have more than enough, what's the drive to have more? To give it to your children as an inheritance? When they didn't earn it and they're going to blow it and they're not going to use it in the right way that you earned it? Let's be honest. Candy and I have a philosophy. We've told our kids, we're spending your inheritance. I earned it, and I'm going to spend it on your mama. We're, we're, we're spending it. You know, it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> no, 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 that's our inheritance. It doesn't matter. No, no, but the reality is, what is it that drives us? Is it a relationship? When I think I get this certain relationship, then I'm going to be content. When I drive a certain car, when I learn, to, when, I, when I live in a certain house or, or I have this or that, what is it? Now, here's the problem with contentment. The problem for many of us is that the horizon, you may want to write this down, the horizon of contentment is always moving. So we think that we get somewhere, we're going to be content, and before we know it, the horizon has just moved a little bit further. So we find ourselves pushing and driving and going. Now, the challenge here is that we want to grow ourselves. The challenge is we don't want to be stagnant. The challenge is that, 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 that we want to be prepared and we want to be wise and we want to be good stewards. But where do we fall in that balancing and where do we dis discover how to walk that tightrope so that we don't fall over into discontentment and yet we live a life of contentment. It's a tightrope that we've got to walk. And unfortunately, it maybe isn't a tightrope. Maybe it's razors. Maybe it's a razor that we're walking on because it seems to cut us so many times. How many know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand. I know it does, right? It, it, it's a reality. It's a reality. So today I want to give you principles and practices. 
principles and practices. Last year I shared in uh, Break the Bank some of the principles that come out of this scripture. The first principle is this. I want you to write it down. Is that our contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. I've got to get this into my heart if I'm going to win the battle of contentment. Is that my, 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 my peace and my joy and my contentment is not dependent on my circumstances. When I pause and I look within and I begin to realize there's things that are, that are pulling me into the arena of being discontent and it's a drive on my heart and it's like, a, it's, it's like the tentacles of an octopus that are wrapping around my soul. I've got to recognize that there's something happening within and I've got to release it. Where do I release it? I release it at the altar. Where do I release it? I release it to God. Paul says, God will give you the strength in Christ to learn to be content in all circumstances. You have a lot or you have a little. Paul says, I learned. I discovered the secret. Can I tell you there's a lot of people in a, in a lot of prosperity that have not learned this secret. And there's a lot of people in a lot of poverty that have not learned the secret. It is a secret to be discovered, and it comes within. He's describing Paul, a condition, and it's something within his heart. He said, I've learned this. You see, no matter what he went through, Paul didn't lose his faith. No matter what he went through, he didn't lose his joy. I choose joy. I choose in the same letter that he's writing, I choose hope, I choose peace, and I choose those things because I've learned, he says in the final chapter, that there was a secret to my joy and to my hope and to my peace. And the secret is my contentment. It's my contentment. He didn't lose his faith, even though things were hard. Even though he might have slept on the ground in the cold winter on the island of Malta and been bit by a snake. Or maybe he was in the belly of a ship that was about to be shipwrecked and he went overboard and everything was lost but their lives. He said, no matter what, I've learned the secret. I mean, and he shares with you this up and down, this up and down, well-fed and hungry, uh, warm and cold, much and little. I mean, no matter what it is, I've learned the secret. Now, why am I standing here for this point a little bit longer? It's because it's a theological principle of who our God is. And this principle must rule your hearts. And the principle is that there is something called the providence of God. Now, we don't like the providence of God, honestly, within our modern society and in our modern Christianity. The providence of God is that God is in control. But in modern day, we feel like we can control what God says is in control. We can control it by what we do and what we press. And yet, in many ways, that is true if we walk in the ways of God and we follow after God, blessings and favor will come. But at the end, even if I do everything right 
and something falls apart, that theology of suffering for us is hard to reconcile because I'm doing everything right and yet everything is falling apart. Why God? And there is a clash in our theology of suffering. And it's based back to understanding then that there is something called the providence of God. Providence is two words. It's, it's the pro, the pro, and that is before, and then a, a video to see. Before you see. You see, God sees before you see. Before you understand it, God understands it. And not only does God see it, but the providence of God says he is orchestrating he is orchestrating your steps if you are righteous and you're following him. He is orchestrating your steps even if things are not going well. But boy, in our bad theology of suffering, when things are not going well, we can't help but say, God, why? I've done everything right. God, why? I've tithed. I'm faithful. I serve. I've done it all. Why, God, is this happening? Man, when you pull back and you see the characters in Scripture, you begin to understand God was working behind the scenes. They didn't even realize what, what God was doing. And it may not even came to fruition until years later. But he was orchestrating something that was going to provide something down the road. The providence of God. Now, the providence of God has a danger. And that is, I do nothing. God's in control. God's plan is going to happen. No, 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 no. I can, I, I can intersect the plan of God in my disobedience. I can, I, can, I can get out of the will of God and I can take a detour in my life because I disobey and I rebel and I open doors to the enemy and I give in to the lie of the enemy and it can hijack what God wants to do in my life. So we have to learn to balance this. I know, I'm losing my breath. I don't know why. Ooh, I'm hot up here. I'm losing my breath. That never happens. Someone said it's the glory. <laughs> Did that mean I never had the glory before? <laughs> That's probably a debatable point. Let's move on. The providence of God. Now, he reminds us, and I said it a few minutes ago, I don't know if you got it in your notes, is that prosperity does not have the power to give you contentment. Even though you're prosperous, doesn't mean you're content. Nor does poverty have the power to take it away. Therefore, I've got to learn that, and it's a secret, Life is not about things. See, God is working. He's arranging. There are circumstances and situations. He's bringing about his purposes. I mean, look at the story of Joseph. You see, Joseph and all that took place in the life of Joseph. And then years later, after he'd done prison, after everything had happened... Years later, he would prophesy and guys would go and they would share that prophecy with the king and they would get promoted. And Joseph sitting there, hey, don't forget me. And what did they do? They forgot him. They don't forget us. I told Pastor Nadine, don't forget us little people when you get out there, you know. Don't forget us. I mean, I joke in her, but Joseph was like, what happened? And he's in prison. 
He's there. He's wondering what, why. And all of that time, he remained faithful. And then the moment came, and he finds himself running, running the affairs of Pharaoh. And then we know there's a great famine that's in the land, and his very brothers that had sold him into slavery are now coming and begging before him, but they don't recognize him because it's years later. He's gone through a lot. I mean, prison time and all that he's gone through. Years later, they don't recognize him. But at that moment where he reveals, and they're fearful for their lives, He says to them in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says to them, God set before me you today and he set you before me and he preserved my life so that I could help you and bless you today. It's the providence of the Lord. And so we have to understand this principle. Before I go to principle number two, let me share with you how Jesus says it. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. In verse 15, watch out. Now, when Jesus says it, I, I, I don't know about you. It's just got to, it can't just be words on page. Jesus says, watch out. The one that you say you're following says, watch out. He also says, guard yourself. Watch out. Guard yourself from every kind of greed, discontentment. Because your true life is not made up of the things that you own, no matter how rich you may be. See, contentment is remembering that life is not about things. Now, honestly, I could end the sermon right here. I could just end right here and say, let's pray. Some of you raise your hand, go ahead, Pastor, do that. (laughs) But the second principle we've got to understand is contentment is learned, not achieved. It doesn't just happen in complacency. It's not a false peace in my circumstances, but it's an abiding peace. It's a confidence. Paul says, I learned. How did he learn it? By experience. Some of his experiences were intense. And he says, I learned how to be content. And there's a secret that he says that I learned. And therefore, it's an attitude. And we learn it through experience. Ecclesiastes, it says it this way. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 Verse 19, if God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It is a gift from God. Therefore, the key for you and I to achieve this is to enjoy what we have. Now, this convicted me this week. Wouldn't you know this is how the Lord does it? I go into my closet, I'm looking for some things to wear, and I come upon a shirt that still has its tags on it. A shirt, O'Neal will take it. (laughs) I like that. Uh, One of our leaders yelled that in the audience for my online crowd. Now, the reality is we have things, and we don't always enjoy 
what we have. And isn't contentment like that? You get a new watch, you get a new phone, you get a new car, you get something new. And discontentment, I should say, like that is after, I mean, just a matter of time, we're already desiring. It's no longer new or fresh for us. We're desiring what else is new. Now, one of the things that I've done, it's not a point, but I've just had to try to learn how to practice delayed gratification. So if a new cell phone comes out, I mean, I am not the first one to get out there and get it. I know you need it for your business. You need it for your life. I know what you've convinced yourself why you need it. But for me, I've just learned delayed gratification. Now, sometimes maybe I delay too long. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm on something really, but it's just trying to learn. Now, I don't always fall right. And we have to learn to fight this because the reality is it's something we battle. But the scripture says we've got to be grateful and enjoy what we have because it's a gift from God. Ladies might be driven by seeing a lot of merchandise and shoes and watches and nails and hair and hats. And I don't know, shoes, shoes, shoes. And I don't, I don't know what it is. Guys, this might maybe new watches, that, that new car. It, it may be some new gadget. It, it might be something. All of us struggle. And all I can say for me is delayed gratification helps. The other thing I want to remind myself is use it up, wear it up, wear it out. I mean, just, just don't be thinking that I got to get something new until I really need something new, Right? The missionary uh, journeys that I've taken has learned, you know, helped me to learn that there is a lot of things here that we get in America that there are not around the world, that is not around the world. I mean, when I take some of these trips now, I really enjoy hot water because I really dislike cold showers. I mean, I haven't had to take cold showers since I got married. I mean, I like hot, well, never mind. <laughs> I dropped that in and everybody's eyes just, I like hot water. I better come on this side. <laughs> you go overseas, you go to Europe and you ask for a Coke. That Coke is coming out with no ice. All of a sudden you realize you like ice. I've come to realize traveling, these are little things, but they remind me how to be thankful how God has blessed us. When I start traveling, it can even be here in America, and I have no internet connection, it drives me. It's like, what's wrong with my phone? It's, it's not opening that message. What's happening? You know, and we could go on and on. I mean, Pastor Nadine was down preaching in Jamaica a few weeks ago. You, you enjoy air conditioning now. She preached in a couple of churches that had no air conditioning. And, uh, and she said, I sweated out everything. I mean, I was just, I probably shouldn't have said that publicly for you. But it's just like, we enjoy air conditioning. Amen. Amen. Toilet paper. Oh, yeah. You know. All of a sudden, we didn't realize that God has blessed us. And yet, advertisers have us feeling like we're discontent. We're missing out. Americans, just by being an American, you're in the top levels around the world when it comes to prosperity. You may not feel it, but you are. We are. And that's why Paul says to young Timothy, 
a young leader, preacher, and 1 Timothy says this, and I love this, and I know my time is slipping, but I want you to see this. 1 Timothy, do I have that? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. I may not feel rich, but in the world, we are rich. We are rich. Command them who are in the world, in this present world. They're rich not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope, there's the key, in their wealth. Don't put it in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy what you have. He wants you to walk in blessings and favor and prosperity. But don't put your hope in it and don't find your contentment just by it. Your hope and contentment comes in God, not in your wealth. God gives you everything that you have to enjoy it, so enjoy it. He goes on in verse 18. He says, tell them, those who are rich, that's us, in this present world, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given to them. A third principle, and then I want to give you three practices in closing. Is greed, I've learned, must die before contentment can live. You see, the opposite of contentment is to be covet, to covet, covetness. It's another word for greed. It's, it's that which drives you. In fact, it's the last commandment in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, you shall not Covet, let greed grip your heart like tentacles. You should not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet. Now, we don't hear a lot of sermons about this. There's not a lot of books written, but yet it's a great evil in our society. It's an inward sin. It's a sin of the heart. It's a sin that nobody really sees or understands. It's there. Just because I have a lot doesn't mean that I covet. Or just because I'm in poverty doesn't mean that I'm resisting a covetousness or greed in my life. Those two things are not indications of it. And therefore, it's something that's difficult to see within. But all 9-11 commandments are based on this commandment. And that is, do not covet. Because if it starts inside the heart, it will flow and lead outside. If you think about it, you're going to act upon it. And therefore, it's the last commandment that he deals with in you and I. Don't covet. He was talking about uh, adultery. Don't covet another man's wife and commit adultery with her. Another one of the Ten Commandments. Don't covet possessions and properties. Why? It leads you to kill and to steal and to take that which is not yours. Don't covet recognition or acceptance because it'll lead you to compare yourself to other people and you'll begin to step out. And therefore, I've got to learn to fight this greed in this spirit of coveting within. Now, the reality is coveting is this uncontrolled desire to acquire. There's just this desire to get more. It's uncontrolled. I run after it. Instead of panning after God, I, I run after these things of the world. And it gets a, a grip and it grabs me. In today's terminology, it's materialism. 
Now, I'm not saying all desire is wrong. That's what the Buddhists would say. The Buddhists say, eliminate all desires. No, God gives you desires. But we have to walk a line that doesn't fall over into coveting. And I've got to stay content in the Lord. So in this area, I refuse to compare myself with others. That's a slippery slope. Man, when I begin to compare, I resent, I envy, I get discouraged, pride builds up. I begin to crave for it and long for it, and it pushes me and pushes me. Paul says it this way to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. He says, do not dare classify or compare yourself with anybody else. It is not wise. So I've got to learn. You may want to write it down. I've got to learn to admire without acquiring. I've got to admire without acquiring. Now, I say that quite often. And honestly, I fall over this line. I don't always, always fall in the right place. But I always say to Candy, as we'll be talking about some things, let's admire and not acquire. We don't have to have it. We don't have to own it. We can acquire things that we need that God gives to us. And when we begin to talk about preparing for the future, we need wisdom and guidance from the Lord. But because I admire it doesn't mean I have to acquire it. So there are stores in the mall that I love. Pastor Stephen and I were talking about it the other day when we were walking through the airport traveling together. And uh, anytime I go to the airport, I'm in trouble when I walk by the Toomey shop. Because I love their bags. I love it. And I said, Stephen, I'm going to walk by and in two seconds my eye is going to pick a bag that I love. I don't need it. I got like ten bags. In fact, every now and then I change my bags up just to remind myself I got 10 bags, you know, backpacks and, you know, briefcases or whatever. And sure enough, we went in, Stephen went right in there, you know, just like. <laughs> it's like, Stephen, I just told you I'm, I'm going to want something. And sure enough, I went in there and I saw this, you know, uh, you know, I've been traveling a lot and I saw this bag that I can sit in my seat with and it can hold all my stuff right there. And I was thinking, yeah, that's nice. And all of a sudden your mind starts thinking, you need it? You need it to make your life easier. You need it, you know. You got to always get up, get up to your backpack. Your backpack's so full, you can't get it under your seat. You need that little shoulder bag. <laughs> now, I can go to Walmart and probably buy a $15.99 shoulder bag, but no. And so Stephen says, well, how much is it? And the lady says, only $349. <laughs> and I said, Stephen, I'll meet you at the gate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I don't have to own it to enjoy it. You know, if you go vacation somewhere, it'll make you want to buy something there. Has anybody ever had that experience? I mean, you go rent a condo on the beach. The next thing you're thinking about is how much are condos on the beach? How can I turn that into an investment? Anybody else ever been there? You know, I mean, you, you start thinking about it and, no, no, I can enjoy it without owning it. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy an investment. I'm not saying that, but there's a line that's there. And I've got to trust God. I've got to keep it surrendered to God. I got to keep asking God to help me. Amen. All right, three practices. Worship team, come on out. I want to wrap up with this. Practices of contentment. The first one, Paul says, is develop personal compassion. If we go back to verse 14, he says this in verse 14. Verse 14, he reminds you and I of these practices. 
And he says, but even so, you have done right in helping me. I didn't have need, but you did right. You did what you needed to do. You did right in helping me in my present difficulty. As well as you know, as you well know, when I first brought the gospel to you and then went on my way, leaving Macedonia, only you, the Philippians, became my partners in giving and receiving. No other church did this. You see, what I've got to do is I've got to develop a heart of personal compassion. Now, Candy is very good here, and I'm not. And, 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 and she helps me here, and I'm thankful. How many of your spouse helps you, right? She just helps me here. Is to be generous, but to have a heart of compassion. That, that, I, that I see the needs that are around. I, I want to put those needs and meet those needs and try to help. As you live with a heart of compassion, it keeps you from holding on with a heart of greed. Live with a heart of compassion. You know, I've, I've determined if I have it in my account and there's a request made to send missionaries or a special need, that God, I want to be, I want to be compassionate. If we share a need and, and, and a missionary is here and we share, I can tell you as the pastor, I am vetting it, that we're being good stewards of it. We're giving it where we say we're going to give it. I can tell you that, that we work hard. We're not abusing it. I'm not coming and taking an offering and saying, guys, we can't pay the electricity this week. Will you, will you give an offering? Have you ever been in a church like that? I have, right? This is a church one time they took four offerings in one service. Four offerings in one service. We're not going to abuse it. So, so I would say, God, help me to have a heart of compassion. If an evangelist comes, God, I want to bless him because I know you're blessing me. I know you're going to speak a word over me. I know there's an impartation. And it may not even be me. It might be my child that's in the service watching that or my child that's watching online that didn't make it in the building, but it's still touching. And God, I want to bless. A heart of compassion. Another practice, Paul says, is develop a, it goes with number one. You see, you can have compassion and do nothing about it. That's just empathy. But compassion activates through a generous spirit. So Paul says, you were generous. Look at verse 16. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. So that generous spirit releases. And thirdly, Paul says, determined to keep an eternal perspective. To understand that everything is about eternity. To keep my eyes focused on eternity. Focus on that which will last. And it's that which will last in all of eternity. Because I've got to remind myself, we've got to remind ourselves that life is not about our things. It's not about our possessions. It's about eternity. So God, I ask you to help me. Help us to keep my eyes and my focus on what will last for eternity. What I know will last for eternity is God's word and God's people. People. So God, help me 
to live a life that will impact those that are around me. Help me to share your word, to be a person that loves you through the word. Keep my eyes fixed on you. I love what Paul says in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Do I have that? Chapter 4, verse 18. Fix your attention. Not on the things that are seen in this world, but on the things that are unseen in eternity. What can be seen only lasts for a little time. But what cannot be seen, what? Lasts forever. Nothing you see is going to last. You got a new watch, a new car, you got a brand new house. Things are going to break down. Things are going to deteriorate. Things are going to get old. Things of this world we know is going to wear out. It's going to decay. It's going to rust. Possessions are all temporary. But if I fix my eyes on what's going to last for eternity, if I determine to fight within me this desire to acquire and the materialistic things of this world, that that is driving me to get it. Not that we don't need things and, and have to have them, but it doesn't drive me. And I settle this issue of contentment in my heart. And the reality is I can keep my eyes focused on eternity. So as I leave you today, I ask you to ask yourself some tough questions this week. Ask yourself questions like, what do I think about and talk about the most? What drives your mind? What drives your thoughts? What is it that's making you discontent? Think about it. What is it that you've bought into? The lies of the advertisers. Where have you found your thoughts going? And as you begin to evaluate it, then I challenge you to begin to commit it, surrender it back to the Lord, and just say, God, I make a choice. My choice is to live for you, to live for Christ and not for culture. My choice is to live for you, the master, not for materialism and things of this world. My choice, I choose contentment. Say it with me, I choose contentment. When we make that choice, here's God's promise, the last verse. Psalms 17 verse 15 but as for me my contentment is not in wealth but in seeing you and knowing all that is well between us when I awake in heaven I will be fully satisfied for I will see you face to face I choose contentment. Say it with me. I choose contentment. Now the warning as you make that choice, the warning is you'll continue to fight a problem. It's a problem within. It's a problem that society is, is, is forcing us to believe in the mindset and the enemy of our soul is always whispering it. And that problem is what about me? What about me? What do I need? What do I want? What do I've got to get? What about me? And you'll always have to surrender that back to the Lord. Paul says, listen, the way I've done it, I've discovered that the secret of contentment 
is that I know my God, verse 19, that my God will meet all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And all God's people with that said, amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.